0: And welcome once again to the Necromancers of the Northwest podcast. Those of you who have been on our website and are regular readers of our various columns are no doubt well aware that this is Dragon Week here on the Necromancers of the Northwest website, and so naturally you are expecting us to talk about dragons today. Unfortunately, we are going to disappoint you because we have decided to preempt uh, your regularly scheduled podcast. Uh, which, which would, of course, be all about dragons and exciting dragon-related topics, uh, to instead talk about something that I think is going to be near and dear to the hearts of, of just about all of our listeners, uh, though some of them may be a bit jaded on the topic in question. What is it that we're going to devote this week's podcast to? It is D&D Next. Uh, obviously, uh, if you're one of our, our regular readers and one of our regular fans, the odds are fairly good that you are uh, your, your system of choice, at the very least when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons, is probably going to be 3rd Edition or Pathfinder, because that's pretty much exclusively what we deal with. Uh, we did dabble a little bit with 4th Edition in the past. Um, we didn't really like it, and apparently it showed a bit more than, uh, than we might have hoped occasionally. Uh, whatever the case, um, for those of you who aren't aware... Uh, or who have chosen deliberately to ignore it. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes Dungeons & Dragons uh, since around 2000, at least. Uh, Wizards of the Coast is currently in the process of producing the next iteration of the Dungeons & Dragons game, currently called Dungeons & Dragons Next, uh, but slated to be the fifth edition of the game. Uh, for a while now, they have been uh, they have been... Running an article on their website called uh, Legends and Lore, uh, which is one of the things, on, one of the few things on their website that is available to non-subscribers. So um, we've decided, uh, met, so, sorry, the uh, the Legends and Lore articles uh, discuss, have been discussing, um, sort of their uh, their design goals and their design philosophies and and their approach, uh, and they've been hinting a little bit to how they're. Giving some hints to how this new edition of the game is is what they want it to look like, uh, and so we wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about that, uh, give some of our thoughts as game designers and as uh, as DMs and players uh, on the subject. Uh, you know, maybe raise a little more awareness for those of you who either, again, weren't aware because you don't go to the Wizards website and, and live under a rock or what have you, or had you know decided after fourth edition, or after whatever else, that no, uh, Wizards of the Coast is not for me. I'm not interested in what they do. I'm going to stick with Paizo and Pathfinder. Uh, that may or may not be uh, be a good idea. It's very early to tell at the moment. But we wanted to, to, to spend a little bit of time looking at this upcoming edition, what they've shown us so far. The reason we're preempting Dragon Week for that uh, at the moment is because as of the day that you're hearing this, it will be the, the second day that the playtest has been uh, has been publicly widely available it's going to be coming out on May 24th which for you should hopefully be yesterday uh or longer if you're not listening to this right at the very second it comes out so uh <laughs> anyway uh we wanted to talk a little bit about some of their goals and 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 processes and thoughts and that and so we're going to to go ahead and do that um jumping right in i want to talk about their uh they have an article, D and D Next Design Considerations, came out on April 9th, two thousand twelve. They talk about some of their major goals for the uh, for the game. Uh, they've got sort of three goals: uh, reunification through common understanding, where they talk about essentially um, they want uh, they, they want to reunify the the various different groups the people who like fourth edition people like third edition people like second edition and so on reunify them through the things that make all of those games the same they also talk about reunification through diversity and they want to reunify them based on all of the things that are that are good and and favored from all of those separate editions the things that each of the editions do well and then reunification through accessibility uh, which Mostly seems to have to do with uh, that it's, it's not really related to actual um, reunifying of various different elements of additions. But they talk more about, uh, they specifically say that they're one of their major goals is to remove minimum group sizes, allow for a complete adventure in one hour of play, and satisfying campaigns in 50 hours of play. Uh, so we'll we'll go ahead and start here. The first thing that I'm, I'm sure you, like uh, like we, couldn't help but notice is they they're very focused on reunification here. And if you if you look at some of their other articles as well, there's a very persistent theme that is ri- written through all of this, which is that uh, they really want this edition to be something that is going to speak to everyone who's enjoyed any edition of D and D so far. So. They really want to have something there for the people who like 4th edition, something for the people who like 3rd edition, all the way back to the beginning, um, and there's there's pluses and minuses to that, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for making a game that has massive general appeal, and there's a lot to be said for, you know, taking some of the things that were done right from all of the previous editions. Um, Obviously, it's it's easy to uh, to poke fun at, at Wizards and, you know, oh, wow, I wonder if they're trying to reunify because Paizo had better sales than them for, for one quarter or something. Uh, you know, and and that <coughs> certainly is probably a factor, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not, in any case, a, a, a good goal to want to have a game that everyone wants to play and that everyone can consider their game. For example, you know, um there were a lot of people from uh who who were big fans of 3rd edition who when 4th edition came out, uh you know, they did not feel like 4th edition was Dungeons and Dragons because to them it was a completely different game that had almost nothing in common with the game that they liked. And I'm sure that when 3rd edition came out, there were a number of people from AD&D and 2nd edition who felt largely the same way, and who knows how far back that goes. Um, not that much farther, I guess. There's only so many additions. Um, but whatever the case, um, there's definitely something to be said for that. On the other hand, uh, you know, I personally would worry that um, when you have a goal of being incredibly, incredibly general and being able to cover lots of different things, then you start running the risk that... Uh, you know, if you get too general, then you're not going to be that good at doing anything. And so, you know, uh, if you need to hit, if you need to hit all of those notes and spread yourself out over everything, then it's going to be a lot more difficult to hit specific notes. The things that you really want to do, it's going to be a lot harder to hit those exactly the way that you want to. Um, Josh, did you have any thoughts on, on their overall goals?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, looking at them, the uh, the goal of reunification is certainly both noble and uh, and ambitious. So that worries me a little bit. Uh, just uh, just to quickly run through uh, their goal number two: reunification through diversity. Uh, I think it's nice that they want to try to incorporate a lot of different play styles, which seems to be uh, seems to be their major goal there. And uh, you know, as as a group that has had to play different games before in order to accommodate that a little bit uh you know i'm i'm interested to see what they come up with there that could uh that could definitely uh do uh do a lot of good for keeping our gaming table you know very uh consistent through different campaigns uh speaking of which if you can play a satisfying campaign in 50 hours uh i would be both delighted and impressed uh for uh, for us that would be uh that would be you know uh that would be quite a lot faster than we're used to. So uh, so that, that's something uh, as well. Uh, again, an ex- a complete adventure in one hour as opposed to one bogged down combat. Uh, obviously, that, that's going to vary a little bit from, uh, from group to group with, with, with play style. And uh, they, they do mention under this, uh, this same goal that obviously groups that are used to playing longer games or, or experiencing things uh, over more time and more in depth are still going to be easily accommodated uh naturally i guess we could play five complete adventures in uh in a five hour session or whatever uh but the the most exciting thing for me there is uh is lower minimum group sizes i remember definitely when we were starting out at d and d there just wasn't very many of us and we were desperate to find new players and uh you know that led to uh to to some positive experiences uh and and others that that were not so much so
0: yeah it, it can definitely be frustrating needing to find the uh, the right amount of people to form a group uh depend especially depending on where you live and and what sort of options are available to you and the idea of being able to do that with you know uh, one player two players um would would be really uh helpful I think for a lot of people
1: definitely definitely and uh and especially you know for uh, for campaigns that that occur. You know, but between you know people's uh, off seasons or, or what have you, so that you have uh, you have time to get you know the groups in that, that that you need when you can get them, or you can run uh, you know uh, different campaign configurations depending on who's available and when. So definitely a game that that supports that is uh, is nice. I you know have definitely lived through a couple of games where you know the the solution is okay, you guys can be like two levels higher or whatever, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, at any rate, so let's uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about some of their class by class design goals. Um, they've uh, obviously, when the the playtest comes out uh, yesterday, <laughs> then uh, then uh, then you may already know a lot. Uh, in fact, you'll know probably you'll know more than we do right now about what those classes are going to look like in detail. Uh, but if if you haven't got there, we have their goals here, so you can uh, you can certainly compare notes with what you get and what they have so we'll start with the cleric um so the number one design goal for a cleric is that clerics are healers okay yeah uh pretty much every uh every fantasy game that that's out there since D and D came out more or less the cleric has been envisioned as a healer prior to that you were obviously talking about religious figures uh usually kind of sketchy ones but uh but, you know, the Cleric has become synonymous with Healer, so it makes sense that that is their chief goal for, for Clerics. Um, number two, the Cleric is a Divine Spellcaster. For those of us who have been playing D&D, that shouldn't come as much of a surprise. Um, and uh, and given the meaning of the word, and if, if as long as you want to keep them a Spellcaster, I don't see, uh, see any other way to do it, really. Uh, number three, Divine Magic is Subtle and Indirect. Uh, that, this one's a little bit more interesting to me because because uh, while that has sort of been traditionally the case in uh, in, in third edition and uh, and and at least uh, my experience with second edition, which is a little bit more limited than I would like, uh, that that tends to be how things work, but uh, but uh, my uh, my I've definitely seen it go other ways as well. I mean divine magic could be very broad and uh, and exotic effects. I've definitely played computer games and things like that where light magic was, you know, it was all about shining down heavenly rays, sunbursts, and, you know, uh, flashy direct effects. Sometimes it's offensive.
0: Yeah, um, there's, you know, there's definitely a lot to be said for that. And, and you know, um, uh, additionally with, with number four, that the cleric is a is an armored warrior, you know, that's also something that, traditionally you see throughout most of dnd if not all of it uh but not necessarily is something that you would always expect um you know so i i don't think that any of these i don't think that any of these are really going to surprise anyone and i'm i'm pretty sure that that's not uh that's not by accident they are specifically you know what basically what they're saying with the cleric here is that the cleric is what the cleric has always been and the cleric is going to continue to be that um and while I would certainly think that you know, it might be fun to experiment with some other kinds of, of cleric types in maybe some ways that we, we don't actually see very often. For example, I would love to see more Divine casters that are not armored warriors. Um, and I would love to see you know uh, options for clerics that don't involve as much uh, being support for everybody else because oftentimes that's not as fun as actually doing things for yourself. Um, you know, most of what they're saying here about Clerics is that Clerics are what you have seen them be before and they're going to continue be to to do that that same sort of thing that they have been in the past. Um and so that's not uh not necessarily anything anything for anybody to be upset about. I would I would think.
1: Yeah, this is a good example of their reunification goal. Uh the cleric has has always been at least some of these things. I would argue that the uh, that the fourth edition cleric is maybe a little bit less subtle and indirect, uh, but he's definitely an armored warrior. Uh, and that that's kind of been uh, kind of been passed. And they're they're really trying to. Uh, that, I mean, as long as you're gonna try to unify everybody over all elements, here's something that that's been fairly common throughout, and uh, and not making any big changes there is good. I just want to quickly hit on their number five design goal that clerics reflect the gods. Obviously, that's something we've. Uh, we've seen expressed in, uh, in domains in third edition. And it's been, um, well, honestly, it's been kind of really dis- uh, unsatisfying The Pathfinder upgrades a little nice where they get, um, more, uh, that there's more to the domains a little bit, but it's never been very satisfying. And they, uh, they, they at least seem to be, uh, indicating that they're going to, uh, they're going to do more about that. They, they give an example that, uh, the Cleric of a God of Shadows or whatever is going to be good at sneaking, even in heavy armor. And th- that that sounds exciting to me as uh, someone who's always wanted a little bit more out of that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said for there.
0: I think that the number one complaint uh, that, that can be said about Clerics throughout just about any edition of, of Dungeons & Dragons is uh, very often they, divine though they may be in their their spellcasting origin, uh, they feel enter- entirely divorced from any religion of any sort. Uh, and so... You know, while things like Domains and in uh, in 4th edition, I think there were feats that you could take that associate. they gave you like a single power associated with your deity. While those are nice, uh, they have so far failed to really make a, a cleric of the, the, you know, light deity feel that much different from a cleric of the shadow deity or the storm deity or the fighting deity. And if... If they, you know, really do put a a decent amount of of effort into making clerics of different types of deities feel distinctly different mechanically, I will be very pleased. Um, I suspect that this probably will be more of a token thing, but, you know, I could be wrong, and then you can always... I remain cautiously optimistic. Uh, Moving on, uh, because we have a lot to cover, and uh, and we're probably going to wind up going over anyway. Um, Let's talk about fighters. There's some exciting things... Uh, if they can live up to their promises there's some exciting things on the way for, uh, for people who like fighters so their fighter design goals they start with the fighter is best at fighting which again not that surprising um, though uh, certainly again in, uh, in some editions, that is not always necessarily the case and they, they want to make sure to, to bring to the fore that the fighter is going to be the one who's going to deal out more damage in melee is going to be able to better hit things etc cetera. Um the fighter draws on training and experience, not magic is their number two bullet point, uh, which uh, ultimately in the past has kind of led to the fighter being, uh, I- in many cases being on more of a linear uh, progression, whereas say wizards and other spellcasters get more of a quadratic exponential uh, growth. Uh, but they follow it up uh, very nicely for those of us who uh, those of us who have holdout, out, Love for the fighter. Number three, the fighter exists in a world of myth, fantasy, and legend. And they go on to talk about how, you know, Beowulf slew Grendel by tearing his arm off and killed a dragon single-handedly, and uh, Roland slew or gravely injured 400 Saracens in a single battle, and as Josh was talking to me earlier about that uh, before the podcast, you know, he also... uh, he all, Roland also you know, cut open a, a huge canyon with his sword um, which might have been a better example there but whatever the case uh, in the world of D&D fighters can do they're, they're saying fighters can do things that are extraordinary and superhuman and, and truly legendary and outside the realm of real possibility despite not being magical and if they can really deliver on that then I think that that's just about all you need to know about fighters, except perhaps their number six design goal, which is that a high-level fighter and a high-level wizard are equal. There have been a lot of uh, lot of complaints in uh, for for the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons about, and for Pathfinder as well, which is basically the same thing, uh, about um, you know high-level wizards just being infinitely better than high-level fighters, and for that matter, uh, high-level clerics and druids also not having much use for fighters. Um, and so, as they point out here, their, uh, their number one goal, their highest priority for fighters is probably to make sure that they stay balanced with all of those other classes as you get into high levels. They don't go into too much details on exactly how, uh, how they intend to go about doing that, hopefully by now you'll have seen and it'll be awesome and everything will be solved in the entire world but um if they can deliver on that then i think that that will be more than enough reason for a lot of people to you know really get excited about this game
1: yeah uh you know what they're saying about the fighter uh, does appeal to me definitely i've uh I love seeing games where the, uh, where, where the fighter or the, the, the knight or whatever, whoever the magical bash or the magic last basher is, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's cool when they balance nicely with the, uh, with the wizard and they seem to be hitting all the, uh, all the notes I'm used to. The the fighter will be the best at hitting guys. He's going to be the toughest guy. Uh, I, I like, uh, a lot of the, the wording they're using in a lot of places, um, obviously the draws on training and experience not magic has tended to lead to a kind of a really boring class in uh in some cases particularly the uh the uh, the original third edition uh, fighter i mean yes he gets a lot of feats but he doesn't have, he doesn't even get a feat every level and like the pa- and like the the pathfinder fighter does that and he has additional class features um the uh the second edition fighter was actually quite a bit more interesting despite not having very many class features there either. Um
0: they got castles.
1: Castles and bodyguards and uh more attacks than other characters and uh just and you could be one without having 17 charisma. <laughs> anyway, um and then yeah, obviously, you know, we have, we have no shortage of mythical fighters to draw on and, and, you know, uh it it'd be really cool to see it. It's, see a character that that both lives up to that legend and you know when uh, when he's standing next to the level 15 wizard still feels like a useful party member uh, so we're gonna go ahead and move on now though I think to talk a little bit about Rogues uh, another beloved class personally my favorite um, so they uh, they obviously have goals here uh, as well so they, they start off with talking that Rogues don't fight fair well that, that that's kind of been their stick, I suppose. A lot of sneaking and hiding and backstabbing and flanking and in in recent days, you know third edition and uh, and all that you you get flanking with the fighter and then you you sort of look a lot like a fighter when you're standing there. I mean, your armor's not as good, but uh, I, I guess you're you know you're ganging up, so that's not fair either really. Uh, so that makes a certain amount of sense I, I definitely actually like what they're talking about here where they're talking about when the rogue doesn't have the uh, the advantages of a surprise attack that that he's at a huge disadvantage uh, I like the idea that that the rogue might have to sneak off or run away or whatever when uh, when things don't look uh, don't look so good instead of you know using a, a, a move action to feint and then surprise attacking or you know getting on the other side of, uh, of some basher and just you know attacking the other guy into submission uh I, I like the idea that that maybe rogues have to skulk off uh so that 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 excites me at least uh definitely a lot of of rogues you see in literature or media are aren't so good when uh when they don't have the uh the the moment to uh to strike in so uh you know that that was uh that was exciting they, they do mention a little bit here that that rogues are tricky and you never know what they're going to do uh you know that That's not been my experience in D&D. They've been pretty predictable for me, but uh, theoretically, uh, I I definitely guess they could throw (laughs) Caltrips.
0: If there's a single edition of Dungeons & Dragons where Caltrips are effective
1: after, I don't know, first level, uh,
0: I have not played it.
1: Yeah. Um, They also mentioned that uh, rogues are skilled is their next design goal. That's been something they've been throughout for sure. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, that they, they're the only ones who who officially get skills in uh in A D and D. Um, and they uh they definitely have the most skills in third edition. Uh they except for I think there's some some prestige classes or something maybe somewhere.
0: Yeah, well I mean with with all of the infinite books that have been produced for third edition, uh, even discluding various third party publishers. Um, you know, I'm sure you can find base classes out there that have you know, 50 plus intelligence skill points per level, or or something ridiculous like that. Uh, but you know, overall, as far as as far as the core rules go, they they have the most skills, and generally speaking, they're the the skillful ones. Um, and that's that's one of the things that you know has been a uh, has been a a major problem for rogues sometimes throughout the course of of Dungeons & Dragons history is, yeah, rogues are very effective uh, when you need to deal with skills and and when you're looking at out-of-combat stuff, that is is great. But sometimes, uh, varying somewhat from edition to edition, you'll find that rogues are not very effective uh, in combat. um, And... And so that's you know something, especially considering what y- what you were talking about before, where they were talking about rogues having to skulk and, uh, and run away. You know that's something that some players, uh, you know, may be happy just being the the skill monkey or, or something that sounds a little more uh, more respectable than that. But essentially boiled down to you know not fighting uh, very effectively and and being well well and truly dwarfed in combat, uh, whereas others may not like that so much, and I'm a little concerned there. Uh, I am very happy, though, for rogues that they get this, again, like fighters have number three, the rogue exists in a world of myth, fantasy, and legend, and it's it's nice. Um, they, again, like with the fighter, they talk about how, you know, rogues uh, are going to hopefully at least get to do some things that, you know, even though they're non-magical, are truly supernatural and extraordinary, and not something that that any joe blow they're not limited by what you know I if I were to go get trained by the best thieves in the world would be able to do um, you know they can they can hide where there's nothing to hide behind or things like that and and frankly that you know those sorts of things the uh the limitations on how you can hide the limitations on You know uh, what you can reasonably get away with with bluffing that sort of stuff. Those have been limitations for rogues in some editions, less so in others. um, But that's something that I I look forward to. Hopefully, seeing rogues really be enabled to to really take their skills to the next level. Um, (coughs) I am personally a little more concerned about point number four. Rogue makes the routine look trivial. Um, They they talk there about how you know rogues can do lots of things without even apparently trying, and the way that they talk about it, they make it sound like, you know, for a lot of lot of skill checks and, and ability checks and things, they're just not even, they're just going to get to to not roll and, and do things, and, you know, that in many ways is going to be great. Uh, I'm sure it would be nice uh, personally to, you know, if, if I had a rogue that could just, you know, automatically get the diplomacy checks to get the basic information you need to complete the adventure... That would be nice, and frankly, I, I would be fully behind that as a DM as well. Um, you know, that's something that, for example, uh, in 3rd Edition you have like, like Bluff and Diplomacy and Sense Motive there, and, and that's great, but then you go to pick up a pre-made adventure and someone thinks that because those skills exist, they need to make high-level uh, high DC checks just for you to get the information, you need to actually do the adventure. Uh, but on the other hand, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, about uh the the pathfinder rules the switch from 3.5 to pathfinder that i hate more than the rogue skill check, where they get to automatically take 10. i guess it's a combination of two but uh y- you can set it up really easily so that you automatically uh get a take 10 check on all perception checks to find traps all the time uh at which point there is no point in having traps
1: realistically in order for that to work, you do have to pass nearby a trap so you know I mean if you never encounter anything it's just a waste of, uh, of rogue feats or rogue talents um, actually what what concerns me most about this this ability is while uh, well it's true it does make rogues better at, at skills to so just be able to automatically succeed on them, uh, particularly since the rogue is is not defined as being a, a real combatant um, the the fact that, that you just kind of blow by the part where the the rogue does get to be uh, does get to be important does uh, does kind of take something away there there was always something kind of hey look I got 30 on my dice roll see I'm important look at that I'm uh, you know then this is just going to be okay yeah cool S- skill stuff happens we have a rogue <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right we're done so uh, I am interested to see how that does turn out in the play tests and uh, and you know when you uh when you decide to uh to participate in that a day early you know send uh, send us your uh, your your experiences or whatever is uh you know we we'd love to hear about it uh so speaking of uh of of more stuff along these lines it's uh, it's time to talk about everybody's favorite and least favorite class the wizard um they uh they break things down a little bit differently here since uh since they do talk a little bit about at the beginning uh wizards don't need to really Define or refine what they do. Uh, they've always kind of been very similar. They cast arcane spells uh, Even when uh, when when they got a bunch of new class features for uh, for Pathfinder They didn't really get very many new class features There was uh, you yeah, know, I mean obviously the the school thing now offers abilities that aren't all that useful or relevant uh, Wizards are about casting spells
0: uh yeah, um I, I would like to point out, um, speaking I guess from a very biased and uh, and third edition perspective, uh there there has been in more recent history, um, you know, I, I definitely think it's it's worth mentioning that, you know, the role of of the wizard maybe has always been casting arcane spells, but sometimes uh that may be less noticeable and make them a little... They're they're less special for it. For example, uh, obviously, I'm talking about 4th edition, where most of the wizard's spells don't really feel in any way distinct or different from, say, uh, fighters'... um, I forget what they call them, exploits or um, combat thingies. Um, But, you know, casting a spell didn't really feel all that different from what rogues or fighters did. Um, And so... um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm entirely heartened by the fact that uh, that they don't think that they need to define what it is that makes a wizard a wizard, but regardless, uh, they do talk about some of the things they want to do with wizards, and, um, you know, they, they do talk about, uh, before they jump into that, you know, sort of breakdown, they talk about how many groups, um, you know, they don't... They don't see any problems with Wizards being overly powerful. Um, You know, the Wizards will take things like Fireball, Lightning Bolt, Magic Missile, and while they'll do a bunch of damage, they still need the rest of the party to be there. Um, If if you're one of those groups, if you have no idea why anyone would think the Wizard is more powerful than anything else, after all, look at how few hit points and what low attack they have. you know, you, you can go Google it or something. I, I, I wrote some articles about it. They're on our website. There's, there's information out there. Just, you know, be aware. You're not going to be able to unsee it when you're done. Um, so, anyway, um, they, they, they talk about how they want to make sure that um, that those groups can, you know, they don't need to be unduly hampered by these rules that are going to hopefully make Wizards a little more on par with uh, with Fighters and their, their ilk, and uh, and at the same time, again, make sure that, that things stay even. So they talk about, one of the things they talk about is they want to make sure that they get um, cantrips as at-will magic, and they want to have spells that you can cast all day. Uh, obviously, we've seen a little bit of that in, uh, in Pathfinder. Uh, we've also seen uh, it's, it's, it's very reminiscent of 4th edition, which is what they call out uh, as, as it being inspired by. I don't think that anyone is going to be upset by having some spells that you can cast all day. That sounds exciting to me so far. Um, then they start talking about keep spells under control, uh, where they talk specifically. They call out that uh, that grease, for example, um, can cause serious problems for high-level characters who have difficulty making a DC 10 balance check. Uh, because, for example, if you don't put skill points into that and you're wearing heavy armor, you may have a serious penalty instead of a uh, instead of a bonus. And so at high levels, you may be brought low, literally, by a uh, by a first-level spell. Um, they don't talk here about limiting, for example, what a spell can do. And I think that, you know, uh, those of us who are primarily coming from a third edition Pathfinder background, which I assume is going to be most of you, this is what we're most concerned about when it comes to wizards, at least, is... Is this going to be another fourth edition? Are all of my spells going to feel non-magical? Uh, am I still going to am I going to be able to make you know uh, stuff appear from nothing? Am I going to be able to to do stuff? They're not talking here about things like you know, hey, you shouldn't be able to have a dominate effect that lasts for more than an encounter or whatever. Uh, but the idea of keep spells under control has me little concerned and I don't know that it frankly that topic is something they never wind up covering in this this article they don't they don't ever approach the idea of you know are you going to be able to do things like wish are you going to be able to do things like uh, like control weather or are those going to remain things that are outside the scope of of regular spell casting it's not something that they touch on um, they do however talk about reducing the total number of available spell slots so uh, less, less spells, I guess, in a day and more, um, more, they call them cantrips, but the things you can cast all day, um, and again, you know, you may not notice the less spell slots if you have that other stuff to do.
1: Yeah, I think this may be one of those, uh, this might potentially be a less is more situation, uh, definitely if they, uh, if they're when they are talking about cantrips as uh, as at will magic, uh, you know I mean they they, they I mean obviously we said that they were talking about more powerful uh, effects. I I assume that they're that they actually mean you know well, they're going to include some cool particularly flashy offensive stuff. Sounds like a lot of what they're talking about to uh, to make sure that groups who just cast fireball or whatever aren't going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, that they, they do talk about um, how they're going to. Uh, how you can only have a certain number of spell slots and then how you uh... and then the number of spells you can prepare at each level is also limited their uh... Their, their next topic spells don't automatically scale uh... does mention that they do uh... that scales only improve if they uh... are prepared with higher level spell slots so that that leads me to believe that you could get more powerful effects on uh, on higher level things which i think sounds uh... interesting to me where you can have more uh, more limited uh modular effects like
0: that. Yeah, that actually struck me as a um, as a kind of an odd point that they had in there, uh, because while there are certainly exceptions, uh, most evocation spells, I guess, come to mind, uh, from a third edition perspective, I would, I would not think of spells as really scaling. Uh, generally speaking, uh, if you cast Sleep at a high level, it's not going to do anything, because the DC is still going to be, you know, 15 or, you know, 11 plus your primary spellcasting ability modifier. Um, and so, you know, similarly, uh, Web is, is, I guess, again, there's a saving throw. But the ones that don't have saving throws, generally speaking, you know, they're they're not really getting better uh, as, you, as you go up. For them, they might last a little bit longer. They might, you might be able to shoot that magic missile just a little bit farther. Obviously, magic missile is a bad example because they get more missiles. But... Um, yeah, most evocation effects, anything and where there's damage, it's often by that. But with the non-damaging effects, with the utility spells, with the buff spells, with the save or die spells, they they don't generally do that. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. But I definitely am I- intrigued by the idea of uh, of spells optionally scaling by being able to put them into higher levels, and it actually, you know, it, um, I'm not I'm not sure that this is in any way where they're going, but it makes me think of the idea that maybe you can get, um, you can get any spells don't inherently have levels, and so maybe you can get Sleep or Dominate Monster at any level. Dominate, I guess, at any level. And then if you put Sleep in, uh, in a ninth level slot, then maybe it hits a ton of people and, uh, they sleep for a long, long time. And if you put, uh, Dominate Monster, essentially, in a first level slot, then it effectively works like Charm Person. Um, I think would be uh, would be really interesting uh but maybe not. Um anyway, then they talk about spellcasting is dangerous. Um and they they sort of mention that they're playing around with some mechanics here but they they're talking about the possibility that if you've been damaged since th- your last turn then if you try to cast a spell as opposed to a cantrip then there's a chance that it gets miscast and um, either does nothing or, or maybe something bad happens. They don't really specify. Um, and, and they talk about how that's to try and capture the feel of earlier editions where, uh, you know, um, for those of you who aren't aware, in, like, second edition, you, uh, you declare that you're going to cast a spell and then you spend a certain period of the initiative in that round casting it. And then if anything happens to you during that time, your spell is lost. And then when you finish uh then you get to cast it. Uh if it has a casting time longer than a round then even more so. But uh so uh you you beca- wizards become very vulnerable in that way because there's that period of time where if if anything happens then your spell is gone. Um and I think that that's cool. Obviously, uh alarm bells go off in my head whenever I hear anything about uh bad things happening when you cast spells because typically I've only ever seen it from third party publishers who who don't know what they're doing. Uh, which is not to say that all third-party publishers don't know what they're doing, uh, but I've only ever seen it handled by third-party publishers who didn't. Uh, anyway, um, and then they talk about keeping magic items under control, and uh, mostly I think it's interesting here that they uh, they apparently want scrolls to use up spell slots, which is cool. Uh, potentially I, I can see where that would come about and honestly um, I'm pretty sure that disposable items such as scrolls and wands are one of the major reasons why wizards are incredibly <coughs> excuse me incredibly powerful in uh, in third edition in Pathfinder um, and then uh, and they talk about keeping buff spells under control and I'm I'm not really sure what they're getting at here you uh,
1: yeah well they uh, their thought here seems to be that uh, that the that buff spells should improve people who are already d- good at doing a thing uh rather than replace you know for example you can invisible your average wizard now uh, particularly in uh in, in pathfinder where stealth includes your move silently as well uh and he can effectively replace any stealthy character or you can uh you can you know haste a rogue, and suddenly he's he's doing way more damage. And the the the, the idea here is that uh, that your your buff spells should have good synergy with the guys that 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 are already good at a skill, and they should only make people who aren't already good at that thing good, but not as good. So, for example. Uh, you know that they're, they're talking about how yes, you can invisible, and if you just need to hide, that's fine. But you know, if you're running around and you like trip an alarm bell, or you know, you uh, you tr- you know, snap a twig or something, you're still going to get eaten by goblins. Or well, you can haste the cleric, and that will make him more effective at, at, at beating down with his uh, with his with his mace or whatever. He's still going to get less attacks than a fighter of the same level would get. Or uh, the, the the idea, I guess, is to uh, is to make it so that buff spells don't uh, don't obviate other characters. Um, and then finally
0: they talk about creativity as opposed to dominance and, and what they want to see uh, those spells be doing. And they, they talk about, for example, a web spell entangling the bandit chief's horse, cutting off his chance of escape, or a grease spell allowing a rogue caught in a giant crab's claw to wiggle free with ease. Um, and I'm again not entirely sure what they're getting at here. Obviously it would it would be nice if they... You know, they, they talk about, you know, building in things into the description that allow uh, allow better improvisation and allow for, uh, allow for things to be used in clever ways, um, and that's good. And I, I would certainly love to see a game that rewarded clever uses of spells. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Other than that, though, um, you know, if you can use the, uh, the web to entangle the bandit cheats horse, I'm not 100% sure why you can't use it to entangle the bandit chief. Um, so I'm not sure whether that example is, is an application of that or, or not.
1: I suspect what they're getting at here is, uh, they, um, we, it seems to indicate that by preparing spells in a higher level slot or whatever, you uh, you get a more powerful effect. Uh, I mean, it seems to me that they're talking about, it's going to be less about number crunching. So I suspect what they mean is that, that spells are going to, be gaining more expanded application and less uh so now the now that you've prepared web in in a ninth level slot that ec is going to be a million uh and i and i think that that's uh that they're that they what they want to do is uh, is expand the uh the, the creative applications of spells rather than just here let's improve the numbers well that would certainly uh that would certainly be cool whatever the
0: case um we're uh we're about out of time. In fact, we're, uh, we're dramatically over time looking at it now. Uh, not very surprising, all things considered. But um, hopefully, uh, if nothing else, this uh, this little tour has got you interested in at least checking out uh, the edition. Again, the uh, the playtest should be generally available. So even if, for whatever reason, you're having difficulty getting a copy of that from Wizards, I admit I haven't uh, looked into the, the means of doing that, so I don't know if it's going to be open or not after it uh, goes live, but I'm sure you can find a copy somewhere on the internet. Uh, take a look at that, see uh, see how it turned out. I can tell you that uh, by the time you're listening to this, we will already be poring over uh, all of that and looking to see uh, just how many of those promises seem to be getting delivered on. I can certainly say uh, fully uh, and, and completely that you know, if they can live up to all of the promises that they're spelling out here, I think that this is going to be a really fantastic game, and it may even succeed to some extent in its goal of of reunifying uh, the various disparate editions and finally putting an end to the edition wars. Um, obviously, uh, my opinion is just mine, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's quite reached all of you, but whatever the case, I urge you to take a look and check it out uh, and get involved because. In theory, at least, uh, you know, the, uh, the information that they get back from these playtests may help to shape the edition as well. So uh, if, you, uh, if you really think that, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, wizards should just be better than fighters, I guess maybe you should take a look at that and let them know. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, if you have any questions, comments, or, or thoughts about uh, things we've said today, uh, definitely uh, feel free to drop us uh, drop us a line or check out our forum. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week with new stuff on our website, and uh, we will we will be making up the lost Dragon Week uh, Dragon Week stuff next week on the podcast. So look forward to a podcast full of uh, fire breathing lizards. In the meantime, have a great game.